sermon text this morning is found in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish the book today. Chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. So we made it (laughs) a few months later. Uh, When I get back from vacation, we're going to do a summer series on prayer. But what I hope as we've gone through Galatians is to see what it's a reminder. It's, it's to show us that the gospel is not only for non-Christians, for those who do not yet know Jesus. It's, it's not just the beginning of the faith. It's the way we grow in faith. And so my prayer as we go through this is, is that we would have come to a much deeper appreciation and awareness of what the gospel is, um, that it would start to shape our obedience, uh, our prayer life. Everything that we do as Christians, it all has to do with the fact that we're here because Christ wanted us, and he paid the price for it. Uh, They would see that God is much more gracious and kind and patient and loving than we (laughs) tend to give him credit for. But then also to see the gospel really is our only hope and cure for everything that heals our hurts. Um, The process starts now, but one day it'll finish its work, and we'll be perfect. We'll be what God has called us. We'll be righteous as he is righteous. And so my, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback as we go forward. You know, how, how is the gospel helping you? Um, it's an encouragement to everybody to hear, especially for us who've been Christians for a long time, where you hear these words and they just become rote, uh, become habit, and stop affecting our heart. We need, we need revival, renewal constantly. So in light of that, how does Paul end his letter? Let's read it. It's a great summary of all the things we've been talking about, and and then we'll pray. Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the Lord has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would lift up Jesus in front of our eyes. That everything we have is due to his kindness, to your kindness. You've given us your best, your son to die in our place and forgive us, and your spirit to dwell in us, to bring us home to you. And so I pray that you would make the cross of Christ our magnificent obsession, something we cannot get our eyes off of, that we would believe with the same intensity um, as Paul, that it would become our boast that we might be changed, loving you and loving our neighbor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to ask Paul, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong? Why, why don't people get along? Why don't people in church get along? Why is there conflict? Or 
What's underneath every racial and ethnic, any kind of conflict in the history of the world? What, what lies underneath all that? Uh, why do things like Orlando happen? Uh, or Turkey, uh, the, the airport that was attacked? I mean, history's full of these horrific, violent divisions. Or why is it in the midst of suffering that we squirm and cry out and wonder, does God love us? Or in light of the, what Paul's been talking about the whole long, why are people so quick to change the gospel and to look to other things? Why are we so anxious, so quick to despair? I mean, if you're, what's wrong with the world is basically... You're asked Paul that, he's going to say it boils down to this. This is his summary statement. It's, it's boasting. That my problem, that your problem, uh, what's tearing the world apart is boasting. And, and we read, as Paul's writing in big letters, he, he normally dictated the way he wrote. I mean, I, partly, they, people don't really know why it's big letters. If he's just saying, look, this is me, and he wants your attention, or if it's um, he's doesn't have as good eyesight, and he's just writing bigger. But either way, Paul's saying, look, this is what I want you to get out of everything I've said. This is the summary. Don't miss it. Boasting. It's boast in the cross. That's all that matters. I mean, this is, this is the last thing that Paul wants the church to hear. So this is, this is going to summarize the whole book of Galatians in his 6.14. Far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross. I have nothing to brag about except that my God loves me and he demonstrated for it, demonstrated it with his death on the cross. It's such a great statement. And so what I want to do this morning, uh, boasting in the cross, this is the heartbeat of Christianity. It's the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's the very thing the Galatians weren't doing. We've got to talk about this. What does it mean to boast? Uh, what is it, how is boasting what's wrong with us and what's wrong with the world? And then we're going to see how Paul shows us that proper boasting is the solution. So let's look at it. First, we have the Galatian problem and our problem, which is boasting, in verses 12 and 13. I'll read it again. Paul says, It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. <laughs> Translation, it's all about them, not about you. Right, so this is what we've been talking about all the way through Galatians. It's finally coming out. Paul's finally said it up front. He's saying, there are people in the church who are teaching you that if non-Jews want to be saved, they must be circumcised. Yes, Jesus died, but you have to add your obedience. You have to add this, this ritual, this Jewish rite of circumcision. And with that came the whole Old Testament law. And so they're saying, Jesus plus something will get you salvation. And Paul's saying, if you add anything to the gospel at all, anything at all, you're left with nothing. You've lost the whole thing. If you add to the gospel at all, you know, let them be cursed. You know, you're, you're, you're under the judgment as if you never knew Jesus at all. Because if you add anything to Jesus' finished work, all we're left with is anemic advice. And what, the way this worked out is it split the church in two. You know, those who were saying we should be circumcised and those who were saying that Christians should not be circumcised. They weren't eating together. Uh, those who were following the Old Testament law thought they were better than everyone else, and so there was a superiority thing going on. And then if 
you're not circumcised and you're saying you want to be holy and good and God does, know God loves you, then they're saying, there's a lot of pressure there. Inferiority, am I, am I really a Christian? And so they're being tempted to give in. And so at the heart of this conflict, I mean, it, it is a theological disagreement at the very core of what Christianity is. It's not just disagreement, it's, it's truth or heresy, right? It's do you know God or do you not? But Paul says at the core of this, the, the very root of the problem is boasting. He says the Ju- Judaizers, the false teachers, they love themselves, not Jesus and the gospel. They want to boast about their ministry, how good they're doing, how many people follow them. And so I want to try and break this down and say this is not just their problem, it's my problem, it's your problem, it's, it's, it's everywhere, it's human. All right, so what is boasting? Number one, I've got to say, Paul talks about this constantly in every letter that he writes. You'll find it in Romans, you'll find it in both Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's, it's a big deal, and even when he's not talking, using the words boasting, he's still saying it's not about you, it's about Jesus. This is the core. This is what Paul was beaten for. This is why he was so willing to be hated, uh, to be crucified, <laughs> not crucified, to be, to be whipped. Uh, he went through shipwrecks. He suffered to say, don't add anything to the gospel. And boasting is the problem. Now, what is boasting? We all know where it is, wh- what it is in, in general is where I'm saying I'm awesome. Right? I'm great. But really what it comes from, it's an ancient battle technique. You you stop and think about it. How how do you get a bunch of grown men to grab swords and run at other grown men with swords and fight to the death for a king that probably doesn't even know you by name? It was boasting. What would happen is the one side will give a great speech about how lame and pathetic and weak, weak the other side is. And, you know, we're awesome. Envision yourself in heaven and paradise. You know, eating their food with their king's head on a pike. Charge. <laughs> We're awesome, they're terrible. Get them. That's boasting. And it's, it's just as true in the ancient world. It was true in the Bible. I mean, that's how you, you'll find it in the Old Testament. Um, so, for example, Gideon in Judges. Um, the people of Israel are, are oppressed, and they have this army, and they want to be free, and and Gideon's told to, to rally an army together. And, and what's interesting is, is God tells Gideon, your army's too big. Keep shrinking it. Keep shrinking it. Get rid of some of these soldiers. He says, shrink your army down to 300. Right, but but what, what do they do when they have the 300? They surround the enemy's camp. Everyone shouts and screams and paints the illusion of being great. And then they all charge. It's boasting. It's all part of warfare. It's how you, it's about pumping up yourself so that you have the motivation to go out and attack. And so it's about pride, but it's also about motivation. Now, it's not just in the ancient world. We do it today, too. It's in sports, especially. That's, that's the modern, modern equivalent, less violent version of, of warfare, mostly. And so <laughs> I remember this vividly when I was in high school, or middle school in Philadelphia. And Dad was going to seminary. The Eagles finally made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And they were going to play the Detroit Lions back when Barry Sanders was playing. 
Uh, he was one of the best running backs to ever play. And this Detroit lineman, foolishly, stood up and said, there's no question in my mind that we're going to win this game. It's only, how much, it's only a matter of how long it will take and by how many points we're going to stomp them by. Nobody can stop our offense. You know, charge. <laughs> of course, he ate his words. The Eagles scored like 58 points. And the whole fourth quarter, the city of Philadelphia just chanted his name, <laughs> rubbing it in, you know, boasting. It's, it's both sides. It's, it's this whole idea. I'm great. You're not. I'm going to attack. I've got to prove myself. And that's, that's what the Bible says. That's what Paul's showing us. It's the problem of every human heart. The reason God told Gideon, your army's too big, is because he knows that deep down in every human heart, we, we want to be able to say, I did it. I saved myself. I have the ability. And for those of us who know we can't do it, it's the source of a lot of anxiety, frustration, despair. We get mad at one another. Drives us to tear one another down. And it's so easy to do. Right? I mean, even boasting in good things, think about circumcision. It was, it was a sign in the Old Testament that God saved. It, he does it from first to last, that there's something in every human heart that is evil, that needs removed and cut out, cut off. And in, in the context of the things we've been talking about, the Abrahamic covenant, the visual picture of the covenant ceremony was God alone walking through the pieces of the animals, remember? Abraham was asleep, where God said, I'm going to do everything, and the sign of that covenant is circumcision. You can't do this on your own. And then here you have the Judaizers saying, we're better than you because we're circumcised. It's not rational. It's what dwells in, in all of our hearts, that, this, that even a sign of God's goodness can become a boast and become divisive and hurtful. It's a sickness. Right. So here's what Paul and the scriptures are saying about us, is that you and I, we have something that we have made the boast of our soul. Something that... You know, we're, not, we're not running to war. We don't have raiding parties coming in that we have to go out and def, you know, def, dig a moat and defend the castle. But we do. We have our own kingdom, our own little world where we say, I need something that's going to get me out of bed in the morning. Get up. And that thing is going to get me to charge. I mean, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's, maybe it's another person. It doesn't anything in this world, something that, that gets us to say, I'm a somebody, I'm not, I don't want to be like those people, charge, attack, boasting. Right? And, and even on days, I mean, we all have them, where you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning, where there's this deep sadness and awareness that, that I, I don't know what I have to do today to boast about. It's still showing us that deep inside, well, I'll put it this way. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, I believe, uh, I have to look it up again. 
You can ask me afterwards when I have, when I have time to look at it. But the word that Paul uses for ego, it's, it's a word picture like a balloon. Something that as soon as you blow it up, it's quickly gone. Right? The air just escapes. And so we, every day, feel like we need to boast, to blow it up again, just to get out of bed. Boasting. It's the problem in the church. It's the problem outside of the church. It's everywhere. Think about politics. <laughs> it's, a, it's an easy shot to take. But more and more, the language used by every side, right? it's, it's make America great again, yeah. But both sides are saying the same thing. They're saying, through me, through my ideas for government, through my wisdom, through my ability, through my strength, through my plans, my, my side, we're going to do it. We're going to fix this thing. Don't vote for the other side. They're lame, they're weak, they're incompetent, they're evil, they're immoral. The list goes on and on. So now charge. Yeah, go push the button next to my name. <laughs> <laughs> but even in our country, you're seeing it, it doesn't just stop with, um, I feel better than you. It's getting violent. Because the seed of boasting always leads to violence. It becomes a taunt, which leads to demonization, cruelty, violence. Boasting you'll find underneath every ism. Racism, classism, sexism, whatever categories you can come up with. And it, it's in my heart. Right? It's in every pastor's heart. You know, preach a good sermon, they feel great. A lame sermon, you know, Mondays are even more depressing. Um, <laughs> we divide ourselves theologically. There, <laughs> there's this great... A little article, the Babylon Bee, I don't know if you've heard of it, it uses satire to poke fun at the church. Um, it's kind of like The Onion, if you've heard of that. But the headline was, local Calvinist um, ego, I'm going to quote this wrong, no, local Calvinist sense of superiority now visible from space. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just saying, you know, that brand of theology, we can see it, you know, Russian cosmonaut as it identified it from the International Space Station. And this is what he says, I'm just grateful that everyone will be able to encounter the doctrines of grace because of my superior intellect and vast knowledge of election, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. <laughs> All for God's glory, of course. <laughs> it, it's funny and sad because that's what we do. Even those of us who say God saves us from first to last, it's all of grace, it's all of his kindness, it's a gift so that you and I might not boast. We then look at our non-reformed brothers and sisters and say, I'm better than you. Clearly, you, you don't see as well as I do. So what do we do? Really, why do we do that? Like I said, our, our ego is, is easily inflated and deflated, but rarely gets in a place where we're, we're at peace. Because I know I, we absolutely need applause, we need attention, affection. We're made, to have, we're made to have the affection of heaven, our creator. And when you exchange that for a created thing, it just simply isn't able to bear the weight of what, what God intended us to have. Something permanent that we have replaced with things that are not. So it's a sickness. If I have the right boast, I think I'm somebody better than someone else. If I don't have it, I hate myself and everyone else, and it tears us apart. 
It's the message of Galatians. It's the message of the gospel. That's what, that's what makes sense of the human race. So what do we do about it? And Paul says, boast in the cross. There's, there's improper boasting, and then there's proper boasting. So let's read 6.14. Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's a pretty big statement if you think about it. When he says, far be it from me, the Greek is, a, we don't know how to translate it because it's such a strong statement. Some of your Bibles will say, God forbid that I never do boast in anything other than the cross. It's, it's almost like invoking an oath and saying, this is the most important thing about the Christian faith. It's what it is. It's what it's all about. It's boasting. Not in my work, but what in Christ has done. That the cross is the core of everything we do. We don't learn systematic theology, just who God is, and stop there. You have to look at it through the lens of the cross because you can't know that God unless you know the God who sent his son to die. Uh, the cross is the very heartbeat and center of the scriptures. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to that moment in history. And everything past that moment in history is looking back. Remember what Christ has done. And in the future, in heaven, we're going to look at the cross. Christ is going to be known as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And we're going to see his wounds. Everything is about the cross. So Paul doesn't say, stop boasting. He says, get the right boast. Restructure what you think is important. You need to change it. He says, boast in Christ crucified. Stop boasting about the world and boast in the gospel because it's the gospel that will get you out of bed in the morning and give you an ego. <laughs> well, it's, it's designed. It's, it's acting the way God designed it. It's saying, right, if, if you have the love of heaven, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever that is now yours in Christ, and nothing in all of creation can take that from you. No suffering. We're like lambs being led to the slaughter, Paul says. Our sin, our selfishness. If we're covered by the blood of Christ, it's forgiven. That, that's to be our boast. That's what gets us to charge. I mean, it's amazing. That's what gets us to go love our neighbors. That's what got uh, men and women to run to the other side of the world and say, you know, I've got three months before malaria kills me, so I'm just going to bring as many people into the kingdom as I can before I die. That's, that's how Africa was won and started. That's how missionaries started in Asia and South America. Someone else did something for me, and I'm going to live my life for him. And I know that's a counterintuitive way of, of thinking. I mean, this is what we talked about. Paul says, the only thing that matters is faith in, in working through love. Throw your resume in the trash. Stop thinking about your goodness and badness, and look at Jesus. Look at the welcome that you have. But he says, look at the cross. <laughs> and in the ancient world, you just didn't talk about these things. Nobody would ever talk about a horrific torture device at the dinner table. Nor is it, was it a badge of pride that the, the, the center 
piece of our religion, our founder, the one we love the most, died this meaningless death, appearing to be cursed by God, hated, humiliated. He died in weakness. The cross, really? (laughs) Nobody likes the cross. And yet, Paul says this has to be the thing that shapes your vision, that shapes your morning, your afternoon, your evening, everything you do, whether you're suffering or or living in a time of success. So how do you do this? How do you boast in Jesus crucified? Let's let's think about this. One, boasting in the cross means we ought to be humbled into the dust. It's starting every day that way, humbled into the ground. So in the way boasting in the Old Testament, there's this place in Deuteronomy 9, I don't know if you remember the, the, the history of where God says, okay, Israel, I saved you by grace, now I'm going to give you the promised land. You're going to go to war, and here's your battle cry. You're just as bad as those guys. Don't you ever dare get any kind of sense of superiority. It's not because of your righteousness that I love you. Now charge. <laughs> This is what the cross does. It, it, it starts our day, starts every day by saying, I am worse than I even know. God, God had to die for me. I'm only ever aware of about 5% of what I'm doing wrong, and if someone points me out to 6%, I get irritated. And God sees everything. Because the cross of Christ is the judgment of God falling not on me that I deserve, but on his son. Paul says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's humbling. He says, I need help. Because how can you ever feel superior when the, the core of our charge, our boast, is I'm evil, I hated the one who died for me. I was just a passive observer to these things that happen. So the cross is the antidote. It's the cure for our boasting. It humbles us down, and it actually, God then brings us up. So, I mean, in the context of our, of our, of our text, circ- when they were arguing about circumcision, uh, it was just a movement to say, make the church great again. <laughs> it's all about human ability. You can do this. And Paul's saying, there's no place for that. You either have your good deeds, or you have the cross. There is no in-between when it comes to being known by God. It's all of grace. Either God saved you alone through the life and death and resurrection. Giving us the gift of faith as the author of our salvation so that we may not boast. Or it's going to be something about us. Now, R.C. Sproul has this great way of, of pointing this out. Just think about this. If it's not of grace, it's going to be something about me or you. And so he had a whole bunch of college students in his living room, and, and he was, um, oh, there's this young lady saying, I just don't understand how it can be only grace. Right? How does God choose some and not others? And so R.C. Sproul just said, all right, think about this. Let me ask you a question. Why are you a Christian and not your neighbor? And she says, well, I believe. Okay, great. That is true. Why, why do you believe and not that? 
and why don't they believe? Because I saw my sin. I saw that I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a, rebellion, a rebellious person. Said, okay, great. Why did you see that? Because <laughs> I could tell there was something wrong with me in my life. Yeah, but why could you tell? How did you see that? And you could see where it was going. You know, that if you say, why am I a Christian? And answer anything about yourself. Because I, I, I'm smarter. I'm a little better. Um, my theology, you know, I got all my theological ducks in a row. Paul says, far be it for me to boast in anything other than the cross of my Savior. It's the only cure to our pride, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just say you're, you and I are sinners. It's, it exalts us right into the, the heavenly throne room where Christ sits. And it doesn't just humble us into the dust. It exalts us into heaven because it's telling you that the only thing in all of creation that God wants is you. And me, out of all the world, he says, you're, you're my treasure. You're my boast. And he loved you so much that he was willing to be mocked, humiliated, suffered, suffer, uh, suffocation, but even worse, to be abandoned by God, to be forsaken, to be treated as a, the worst scum of the earth, the worst sinner. Think about Jesus' battle cry. I didn't come to be, to, to be served. I came to serve. And you, you think about what he did, and you read the Gospels, everything in the Gospels, it's not, it's not a good history of Jesus. It doesn't tell you everything he did. It, mostly what it does is tell you Jesus died for you. The Gospels, I mean, think of the Gospel of John. Look at his power, look at his greatness, but now this is what I want you to see most. Jesus died. It's, it's one of the best parts in the Gospels, like Luke 9, 51, I think it is, where it says, now Jesus steeled himself. He, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that if anyone was going to stop him, he'd say, get behind me, Satan. Even Peter. It's what he committed to do. I mean, now I can't watch a movie or hear, read a story when I see someone determined to go sacrifice and say, I know what I have to do now. Without tearing up some. Say, no, that's exactly what Christ did. That Jesus humbles himself and says, my boast will be in you, but I have to do this first. Think of the scriptures, all, all the sacrifices, uh, prophet, priest, and king, all the diff great figures of the Old Testament, they're all looking forward to the day when Christ would be crucified, that sin would be taken away. I mean, Abraham's sacrificing his only son. That's a horrible story if it's, not a, if it's about him. But because it's about the one who says, now you know I love you because I've given you my only son, Christ. You see it? Paul's saying, there's nothing else to boast about. What else are you going to say when you see God? You're going to talk about you or you're going to talk about him? And that's what heals. I mean, faith in the gospel will give you the applause in your heart that you are most craving. Because when you put your faith in Christ, everybody, whether you've been you know, 
the worst person that you can even imagine, or even the most moral. Everybody who comes to faith in Christ now has the applause of heaven, treated as if God, treated like God's own son. That means it's going to be counterintuitive when we come to that last day. If you put your faith in Christ right now, and we stand there in front of God, the judge, as Christians. And we say, I, I have nothing to boast about other than the fact that God, my, my Savior died for me. We're, we're going to get cheered for. Yeah, we're going to cheer for Christ because of what he's done. But one of the most counterintuitive things is that all of heaven is going to erupt in joy. In celebration. Because we've made it. Because God himself carried us from beginning to end. And now he can look at you and smile and say, you're beautiful. And the good news of the gospel is you don't have to wait. You can, it starts right now to be saved. And when that sinks in, what happens is that everything around you looks a little less shiny and pretty and exciting. Because you realize no person, no career, no family will ever boast in you the way your God boasts in you. The world has been crucified to you. and the, the, I'm not telling you anything Paul hasn't told you here. Look, it's going to humble you. It will exalt you, but it's going to bring you into the new creation. That's what Paul says in 6.15. Circumcision, uncircumcision, goodness, badness, who cares? It, it doesn't mean anything because you're already in. Stop trying to take the test that was already passed. You don't count for anything. And you think about what heaven is. It's not some mystical place where we float in the clouds and are chubby and cute and play harps. Right? It's, it's a whole new world, a whole new creation where we're going to live in a world as it should be. It's a city where everything wrong with this world will be healed. And Paul's saying, if you take what he said in the beginning of the book, that Jesus died to deliver you from this present evil age. And what he says at the end, the only thing that matters is whether or not you're in the new creation. He's simply saying, Christ brought you in. This is your boast. We're, we're here right now. And what it's going to do, what it should do for you, is to both, well, it's, you're going to be at more at peace with suffering and you're going to hate it more. It's going to be both at the same time. Because if you know you're in a world already that, that's dying, but that will be healed, then you're going to know that everything around you is just wrong. It's, it has an exp expiration date. It will get better. It's going to make you even more mad and frustrated and, and grieving, too. You're going to respond to suffering like Jesus. You're going to become... You're going to grieve differently. Because the curse, which infects everything around us in this world, you're just going to say, Jesus, hurry up. Come fix this thing. But at the same time, you're going to be more at peace with it. That's what Paul says. He says, I've suffered. Stop bothering me. He sounds like a grumpy old man here, right? No one troubled me. From now on, I have the marks of Jesus. Stop trying to, and I think it's tongue in cheek. Why do you want to be circumcised to look holy? Look, look at my ministry. Look what I've died for. They don't want to deal with the cross, which offends people. He says, suffering will happen. 
But if you know you're already in, and you know you're already loved and delighted in, that's what's going to get you to charge and attack, not with a sword, but with the gospel. So, conclusion, Paul says, this is it. This is all I've got. This is what I'm living for. This is what I'm dying for. By faith, I'm going to live in the, in the Son of Live by faith in the Son of God. And it's the seed that will give you the power to face anything this world has to offer and to throw at you. Bitterness, anxiety, depression, grief, sorrow, loss, success, wealth, poverty. It's gonna, it changes the structure of your heart. And so to end, end the book of Galatians, you have to ask, is do you understand the message of the gospel? That it is fundamentally not about you, but it is for you. Can you say it's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me? And then do you put it to work? Does, does the cross shape your prayer life? Do you, do you look at what you're going through through the lens of the cross of Jesus' suffering? Paul says that the power of the gospel is someone else. It's counterintuitive, but the more you trust in what someone else has done, the stronger you will be as you admit you're weak. I'll end with a, a story here, <coughs> excuse me, about John Newton. We're going to sing Amazing Grace to end the service. He was a slave trader. And one of the things that I've been reading some of his biographies, I didn't realize how miserable of a person he was. Not just miserable because he was suffering, but just no, nobody liked him. And so when he was a young guy, he got drafted into the Navy in, in Britain. And he, he didn't want to do that, so he went AWOL. And he got caught and drafted, and he was sent to Africa. And he actually, at one point, found himself a slave uh, on a slave plantation. I mean, he was so miserable, the, the owner's wife didn't like him, and she tried to starve him to death. Because one of the things he was doing is he made it his life's goal, <laughs> if I can put it this way, to mock everyone who believed in Jesus, to tell them that they were stupid for even thinking about it. And even after he got rescued, by chance, he just happened to run into somebody he knew on West Africa to get out of this, this horrible position of slavery. He got on this ship, he was crass, he was crude, he was blasphemous. And long story short, John Newton, the pastor, who did become a pastor, you wouldn't have liked him when he was a slave trader. When he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, he means it. But then he became a believer. He eventually got his own ship. He still participated in the slave trade. And what's fascinating is, is the way he's honest about his sin. I mean, this is the pastor writing, looking back, but he is able to, to lay out all the laundry list of the horrible things. He said, my boast, my boast was that I had less Afri Africans die on my ships than everyone else, which is a good thing. But what's amazing is because his boast was in the cross, he actually told people about it. He says, I was, I was evil. What I did was wrong. 
And he was able to say, I'm not the man I ought to be, I'm not the man I wish to be, nor am I the man I hope to be. That's the path he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I'm not the man that I used to be. You see, if you make the cross of Jesus Christ your boast, it's going to humble you into the dust, but it will exalt you to the skies, and that will allow you to turn to your neighbor and say, don't you want to boast in something better? Let's pray. Lord, we just heard the gospel proclaimed, and we're about to see it here in the Lord's Supper. And I just pray for those who are here who do not know you, who know, you know, it's one thing to know that we're, we're not perfect, but it's another thing to say, I'm going to trust that God loves me because of what Jesus had done. So I pray that you would bring to all of us conviction of sin, but then that you would exalt us to the skies and that we would experience as we eat with you just a taste of the new creation that would bind us in love to one another and then it would become our taunt as we go out into the world and say, my God loves me despite who I am. <laughs> so may these things be true by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.